Welcome to the Personal Power Project. I'm your host, Jonathan Stewart. I had been just working out in the gym and doing some thinking, and I ran back to my room, and I need to get this all off my chest. It was coming to me like a stream of consciousness, consciousness, uh, poem from T.S. Eliot. Wow, I'm very excited to share this with you guys today and I hope you enjoy it. And as always, please like, subscribe, share it with a friend, um, leave a review and you know, if you have any questions, comments, you can reach me through my website which is in the uh, episode notes or my email which will be in there as well. So I'm going to get right into it okay what i want to talk about today is something i've been thinking about with regard to uh teddy roosevelt's uh speech called the man in the arena okay this speech um has you know wide support across political lines we'll just start by saying that nelson mandela gave this to the world cup um rugby team before their last match against the New Zealand All Blacks in which they were victorious. I believe even uh, Barack Obama referenced this speech. The speech was uh, a wild success um, during its time. It was was from his speech in Paris uh, in which he it was called the citizenship in a republic. Okay so here's the speech okay from Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, President of the United States, early 20th century. Here's the speech. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never, who neither know victory nor defeat. Okay? I'm not going to read it again like I usually do. If you want to, skip back 15 seconds or Google the speech. It's called The Man in the Arena. Okay? Brene Brown wrote uh, Daring Greatly as a result. Uh, well, not as a result of that quote, but from uh, that part. If he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Um, So this speech, it made me think about how we are so unwilling at the current time in the United States and the world for that matter to get inside the arena. Now, take this arena as being something, the metaphorical arena. And I know that Teddy Roosevelt um, believed that too. Um, that it was, uh, you know, this metaphorical arena of someone who strives valiantly, right? Who 
who airs, who airs again, who gets up. It's like that Rocky um, soundtrack playing in the background, you know, um, him scaling the stairs in uh, Philadelphia and being beaten, being beaten, but always going back. Um, and there is no such thing like that anymore. There is no such thing as resilience anymore. And there is no struggle for existence anymore. And and this isn't, um, I should say, and there's also no um, hearing the word no anymore. So there's no resilience, there's no struggle for life anymore, and there's no no. Um, and I think, at least from what I'm, um, you know, reading and uh, researching and spending my time, that doesn't bode too well. Because when you have uh, a ton of people who agree with you, then how do you know and how can you judge unequivocally that what you're saying is true? So I, I want to start off with this idea of how everything we are doing in life right now starts with yes. And everything we do, it starts with yes. It's like we are, we, we're, we're at home and we pick up the phone and, you know, the typical pitch of anyone trying to sell you something, but we'll use the uh, stock market um, trader, right? He calls you up. He says, hey, Mr. X and X, um, do you want to make $10,000? And you're like, yeah. Uh, do, are, are you someone who's uh, growth mindset? Yeah. Are, are you feeling great today? Yeah. Well, since, <laughs> since I got you saying th yes, three times, you know, this fourth one, will you, will you mind, uh, you know, putting, um, you know, $5,000 in P and Q stock? And you're like, yeah. So how is that, that, that idea right now is, is, ubiquitous in everything we're no longer asking the no question because we're too afraid of getting into conflict we're too afraid that may we get into the arena we might actually fail we might have to think for ourselves and i talk about this a lot in my podcast i talk about being able to think for yourself is the hallmark of an individual even Immanuel Kant, he said, the, I believe he said, enlightenment is the soul's ability to think for itself. We have so many other people thinking for us that it's hard for us to even think about thinking for ourselves now. It's, so because we don't want to get into conflict, we think yes is the best word. Like salesmen and women, they're afraid of the no because, you know, they think, well, if I'm trying to sell something and someone says no, like if you're trying to sell software, if you're trying to sell a car and you hear someone say no, you're like, oh, oh, damn, I missed out on that one. N no. Why? When you hear the word no, that's when, example, you, you get that person who's on the phone and they say, no, I don't have 10,000, I don't want to make $10,000. Awesome. Now you know that this person doesn't want to make money. What do they want to make? You see how that works? It's called dialogue. When you find out someone says no, and I, I did, I mean, I did this a lot in my business. And granted, when I would uh, be on the, not on the offensive, so to speak, but when I would be sitting across from someone and they didn't want to pay $300, $400, $500 a month, that, that's fine. 
then if if what I would then ask them is okay, so what do you want to do? Like if it's not here, if it's not with in my business, then what is it that you want to do? And m- more often than not, they would end up signing up because then they started to realize, oh, maybe I do need this. Not because I forced them and wanted to get yes after them. I want to know right away what their objections are. Because when you know the objections, you then have a A, B, C, D criteria by which this person is judging their decisions. And then you could analyze each one of them and ask them about it. And then this person comes to the decision for themselves. So what we're doing right now is all we are doing is we're so afraid of being wrong that we're more concerned with being right because when we hear yes, we think we are right. It's like you ever if, if I think this would be a dream for uh, men and women, perhaps, but more men probably, um, just because there's this this uh, idea amongst you know married men like oh you know my wife the old ball and chain right um, she never lets me do anything and for men they think that. If they hear yes from their wife, that it's 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 going to be great. Like imagine your wife just you know, or um, imagine your significant other rather saying yes to every single thing that you want to do. Honey, I'm going to I'm going to go buy a pickup truck. Okay, yeah, sure. And you're like, wow, the hell? She 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 just let me buy a pickup truck. Okay. Then you're like, honey, I'm going out with the, the boys or the metaphorical boys rather, you know, like I'm going out with the girls. Okay. Okay. Love. And your and your husband's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And then your the wife's like, Hmm. Wow. Something strange going on. Then you're like, yeah, I'm going out. I'm, I'm going out to dinner. I'm going with, uh, you know, bowling. I'm going on vacation. You know, you think everything is going right until you come back home and realize your wife left or your husband left because all the while you had been going after yes every single th- every single time that you guys probably got into conflict it was just let's let's get into the yes let's get into the yes and all the while this person ended up wanting to say no but they were too afraid to do so because when you say no this person is forced to then answer as to why they said no no honey you can't get a truck because we don't have any money maybe that would have you know stopped the tracks uh, from from going any further, right? No, honey, you can't go out with the boys because, you know, you got to take care of your child or whatever it is. Uh, you got to do something. And all we're, we're so afraid of getting into conflict. We're so afraid of getting into the arena. I love hearing no from my wife because for me, I love arguing. Not that it's not that we argue. It's that we love learning about one another. So I don't present things to her without, and similarly, she doesn't present things to me without having an opinion on the topic. And if we agree, we then actually ask one another, well, could it be otherwise? Like, why, why do we think it's that way? What would, what would determine it to be differently, right? So it's the same exact thing that is going on, like I said, at the start of this, in our United States national dialogue is more concerned with getting to yes than getting to no. What I mean is that in the US, we're not so riled up by attracting our bases of support. 
We'd much rather not have a discussion about why XYZ position is held, but rather that any disagreement from those tenants would make you an outcast. Does that make sense? Where we become enraged, happy that everyone that we're surrounded with it agrees with us. But the minute that someone doesn't agree with a, a particular tenant of your, you know, of your uh, base, you're deemed an outcast. So if you have positions on the left, if you have positions on the right, right? If you hold to be true that abortion is wrong, okay, well, if you're on the left, you're no longer part of the left. But if you're, if you are, now you're identified as being on the right. But if you're, if you think abortion is wrong and you're on the right and you're for, you know, a quote unquote wealth inequality redistribution, then you're no longer even part of the uh, right. So, so where are you a part of? Because in the internal camps, no one wants to have these discussions. They want to take it as truth that these things are self-evident, right? And Roosevelt's quote is about resilience and about coming up, up against the word no. But our, our bases don't even allow us to support disagreement amongst themselves. So what kind of system are we creating? We're not creating a system. We're creating a dogma. And how effective is dogma? Dogma, if for those of you who don't know, dogma is you shut up and you listen and what we tell you is God's truth. We have to think more, people. We have to hear the word no. We have to ask more questions. In fact, we have to start to find out more about the other person who says no, like I was doing in my business. I love when I hear the word no. When I hear the word no, I, I perk up. I swear, like light bulbs start to go off and I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to hear something something cool. Like, I don't want to be around people who just agree with me all the time. It's, it's why I read books that are counter to the way I think. When I, was a, when I was a kid, I had friends who didn't want to play, right? I called them up. One kid, Robbie Rossi. If he's listening, what's up, Rob? <laughs> but I called and I said, hey, man, you want to hang out today? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I was in fifth grade. And he said, no. I didn't say, all right, bye. No, I said, why? Why can't we hang out today? Like, I was, I was upset. I wanted to hang out with my best friend. And he said, we can't hang out today because, you know, my mom's not home or whatever the reason is, right? It's just a story. I asked why. I didn't just accept it as a blind proof, right? And in our political discussions, we're only adding fuel to the fire that's already burning. Because if I find out something and I know it's going to rile my base, I'm not going after them with reason. I'm going after them with emotion. I'm going after them because... I'm going after them, not in the sense that I'm attacking them, but I'm going after their hearts and minds because I know it's going to stir up sort of this angst and this, you know, anxiety and this cathartic release of uh, possible depression, especially right now in COVID. Like if you, you could say anything to either of the political parties and they will fucking jump for joy because they've been locked in their homes for God knows almost a year now. On the left side of the aisle, on the right side of the aisle, there's no one willing to say no to each other. Instead, like I said, they'd rather say yes to their respective camps because it's easier. It's easier to swallow. For example, 
the Republicans for months during the election and post-election were claiming election fraud. The Democrats in response were saying this was the safest election and that there was no election fraud at all. So, so what's going on here? You have a someone who's has a thesis and someone who has an antithesis, okay? But usually what would happen after thesis, antithesis, you would have synthesis. But that's not occurring because what you're having is one placating to their one side and the other placating to the other side. Meanwhile, in 2016, when Trump got elected, the roles were completely reversed. And I wish people would understand this. The Democrats launched investigations right away, impeached the president, now twice, but nothing was found. In fact, even in the, um, I think it was the Steele dossier, it showed that there was no actual election fraud perpetrated by um, uh, Russia I'm sure there was election fraud no matter what. Like there, for, for a person to deny election fraud, that's like saying people don't cheat on their taxes. Like, do you think the IRS is catching everyone who's cheating on their taxes? Honestly, think about it. 300 million, well, I, I guess maybe say 250 million because obviously each person may not just file for themselves, but if they're uh, married, etc. You think that the IRS is going, they try to eliminate as many loopholes as they can, but you don't think that people find them and say, oh yeah, uh, I need, I don't want to pay as much. Like, come on people, like give, give everything becomes again, thesis antithesis. If it goes according to your political beliefs, well, my whole, my whole squad will back me up on the other side. If it goes towards our political beliefs, my whole squad will back me up. And what happens who loses? The American people lose because you have a dysfunctional government more concerned with placating than arguing and arguing civilly, I might add. We don't argue civilly anymore. We call people by names. They call each other names. And what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. Uh, and a gr another great example is just the fact that during the uh, after the initial COVID relief uh, bill was passed, Nancy Pelosi held out for another six months because the amount of money that was going to be given wasn't substantial in her opinion. So Wolf Blitzer on CNN, okay, you could, you could look this up. Wolf Blitzer questioned her and said, well, wouldn't something be better than nothing? And she said, you know, you're a hack or something along these lines. Like, no, something wouldn't be better than nothing. Think about how, how ignorant of a statement that is, that you have a politician in office who is more concerned with getting to yes, meaning, no, I want this bill. I want it done this way because my base says so. That's all yes. Here, yes. Here, yes. No would have been, hey, let me engage with the other side and let me actual actually pass something. Because the Republicans were were had... Um, um, had said in the bill and sent it back and said, no, we'll agree to 600. But, but what happened? We didn't get relief until I think the end of December, right? 
when uh, I think they passed another bill. And it was actually less money. It was less money than they were getting in that uh, previous bill. But again, you know, it, it, it makes the argument and the quote highlighted in the citizenship in a republic from Teddy Roosevelt, man in the arena, that much more important because we're seeing the erosion of dialogue. We're seeing the erosion of the arena itself. And in fact, the arenas themselves are now arenas for each person and each group. Each group has an arena. How do they do this? Twitter, Facebook, Parler, um, Gab, I don't know, uh, even YouTube. Every single arena is being reconstituted to formulate a, a, this uh, a bubble around which you can hear all the arguments for why you believe such and such and hear all the arguments against um, why you believe such and such. And how, how does that make society better in general? It doesn't. It just makes the ability of you to say yes that much easier and the ability of you to of the bil- the ability of you to actually say no that much more difficult because if you actually say no guess what ha- has to happen you have to know your fucking shit you have to know why you don't agree so if you were to say i disagree with abortion or i agree with abortion right agreeing with abortion y- there's already an assumption there there's already numerous amounts of assumptions of why you agree right and we know this. We know this when, we, when, when someone asks a question regarding something regarding that, right? But when you hear the word no, you either do two things. You either assume that this person is a jerk, an idiot, dumbass, conservative, whatever the case may be. Or you say, hmm, I, I want to learn. Like, yeah, tell me why you don't agree. We're not open to being in the arena anymore, right? If he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. We would rather know victory each and every day rather than know defeat. How do we know victory? We know victory by just, again, we get the social cred. We get, uh, we get likes. We get people who comment on our posts. We get, uh, you know, we get... Uh, all the fucking memes that come out and, and, uh, oh yeah, this meme is so funny. This meme, yeah, this meme really, uh, you know, talks about the other side. Oh yeah, now we could talk amongst ourselves and, you know, talk crap. It's like, what is this doing? It's doing nothing. It's getting to yes over and over and over again. And each politician is more concerned with looking good rather than being good and getting into the tough conversations. It's, it's ridiculous. Like one thing that bugs me so much too is like you have a person like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who sells t-shirts with, you know, the same um, emblematic and headline font as, you know, Viva la Revolution. Like you have politicians who are selling t-shirts. Yeah, it may be for their campaign, et cetera, but it's like, what? 
So let me let me let me get this straight. You're more concerned with people identifying with you politically rather than them thinking for themselves to come to the conclusion that they agree with you. Again, we're more concerned with getting to yes. I'm going to buy a t-shirt of AOC's rather than you know what? I think her policy her policy platform really resonates with someone like myself and I've looked into the arguments against it and they don't seem to address it. No, 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 no. That that's too fucking difficult to think about that, right? It's it's too it's too difficult for us to actually consider the opposite opinion to get into the arena because again, the arena is reconstituted to be around each one of the political parties and beliefs that we we have. I mean, imagine your the politicians, right? It's like each one of them are applying for a job and their friend who is the boss tells them you will get X salary, even though they're way more qualified than that salary, but they accept it because they don't want to offend their friend who's the boss. This is what's going on. This is what's going on daily, right? They'd rather not get into disagreement because, uh, you know, the person who's leading the party, like, uh, I, I got to go along with the flow. I got to go along with the flow because, you know, I know my, my the people that support me also support this person. We're creating demagoguery, right? Demagoguery is when you, again, blindly follow just because you identify with this person. Forget tribalism. Like, we've completely descended into a demagogue form of uh, political affiliation in the United States and possibly around the world. I mean, do you, you want to give, give comparison to a place like North Korea? I mean, North Korea, no, at least North Koreans don't have a choice. Think about that. They don't have a choice to whom their allegiance goes. But in the United States, we do have a choice, but the choice is too difficult for us to make. So instead of actually analyzing issues, we'd rather, you know, we, oh, this person's nice. Like they, they say all the nice things. They say yes. And I like to hear the word yes. It's bullshit. And to me, again, it's destroying the essential nature of what it means to be human. What it means to be human is to come into contact with the word no. What it means to be human is to get knocked down, is to fall down, is to stand back up. What it means to be human is to analyze issues, is to reason in a democracy or republic, right? But again, we're each too concerned with being right and getting to yes more than we are getting to no, and it's destroying our own dialogue and our own frame of reference with our understanding and getting into debate should be the the lifeblood of democracy getting to hear your opponent in a debate is where positions finally take aim have you ever heard of a have you ever heard of a debate between two opposing views right and they said yes i agree and the other person said yes i agree and then the other person goes, yes, I agree. And then the audience is like, wait, I thought we were here to hear a, a debate. No, 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 no. T today's debates, even if it's Trump versus Biden, 
Hillary versus Trump, Obama versus Mitt Romney, Obama versus McCain. No. And you want to know what's funny? Or not what's funny, rather. What's uh, important to speak about is on the campaign trail, right? On the campaign trail, I think it was back in 2008, a person stood up when they were doing like town halls uh, with John McCain. Okay. And McCain, for those of you who don't know, was a POW um, for many years, I believe. And again, I don't want to disparage this guy's life, but I believe he was a POW for a few years and maybe perhaps even longer. And um, he was in Congress for many years, ran for president, uh, etc. And while John McCain was on the campaign trail and doing a town hall, a woman got up and said, you know, Senator Senator McCain, you know, I think uh, Mr. Obama is a terrorist and et cetera. And then he took the mic away from the woman. He took the mic away from the woman and said, no, ma'am, that's, that's absolutely wrong. He's actually a great guy or, and it's like, I, I'm not sure. So there's ways in which you could see that, right? There's a way in which you could see that dialogue as getting to know, right? Getting to know because McCain took the mic away and said, no, 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 no. I believe that he is a good person and that those accusations are false. And the woman was presenting her case too. She was saying no in her own way. What would have been different is if McCain said he let her, well, I mean, he, he should have let her speak, which she did. And I, I, I guess she was finished. But McCain said, yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. We're, we're no longer at this stage of concerned about getting things right because they are right. We're more concerned about being right to the people that believe we are right. Does that make sense? And I think it's it's funny that the Washington Post has a quote it puts underneath each paper, which says, democracy dies in darkness. I think the American people would much rather um, enjoy darkness because what do we have now? We ha- What do we have now? We have darkness, right? You have a, a, uh, an account like a, a parlor who... They said uh, Facebook and uh, Amazon and Apple took their um, platform away from them and removed them from any sort of cloud support because there was violence on their platform. And I believe, I mean, according to their, you know, testimony, they had removed any violent postings and things of that nature. But at the same time, right... You have the Ayatollah in Iran who maintains a Twitter account and posts about destroying Israel. Posts about destroying Jews. Killing Jews. So, so what's going on here? And it's not that we need, you know bipartisan or these fancy words for euphemisms for people agreeing. I want people to disagree civilly. 
Civilly means that you take the most charitable understanding of this other person's viewpoint and opinion, and you actually come to a synthesis. You actually take the thesis, antithesis, and you create a synthesis. You understand that there is something greater than each one of these opinions, and you incorporate not necessarily the best parts of each, but yeah, the ones that you can civilly disagree on and come to an agreement. No, no, no. If Parler violated, that's it. We got to remove them. So what happens? They remove Parler. And again, what happens on Twitter? What happens on Facebook? What happens on Apple? Numerous amounts of people on this, in this case, the left, cheer them. In fact, Jack Dorsey put up a photo, okay, which I think is so ironic. Hear this out. Jack Dorsey puts up a photo after they after um, um, Amazon boots. Uh, let me just back up for one second. I apologize. Parler, once Twitter had removed President Trump's um, Twitter account, there was people who were on Twitter who then said, screw this, like, I'm off Twitter. Like, they could just remove his account. Like, uh, this is bullshit, I'm off. So they left and they went to Parler. Parler that night became the number one most downloaded app, okay? <clears throat> so then what happened? Once they removed Trump, Parler became the number one um, downloaded app, okay? Then they said that Parler was used for capital riots, etc. Meanwhile, there is absolutely... I've downloaded the app Parler because I wanted to see what it was all about. There's absolutely no way to coordinate in groups at all. It it would be similar to creating a Twitter account and trying to create an event. I don't think it's possible on Twitter. Uh, and I the only place it would be possible would be a group like Facebook where you can actually say event. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So... <clears throat> What happens? Parler gets removed. Jack Dorsey then posts a photo the day after Parler was removed or the night of with a heart, okay? And an image as a screenshot of the number one app being downloaded now, which was Signal. So I'm sure you have heard of Signal. And guess what Signal is? Signal is a fully end-to-end -end encrypted messaging service where there is no tracking on it, no data storage, no nothing. It's actually a nonprofit. Okay? Think about what he did. Jack Dorsey posts a photo of the number one downloaded app being Signal, something that you can't actually get data from. How strange of a thing. Why are people downloading an application in which they don't want people to get they don't want people to track them? Wait, 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 wait. Wasn't that what Parler did too? Like they didn't track as as well, right? Wait, why would why would a guy who makes money off of data tracking, marketing put up a post of an app that does doesn't do that type of stuff? Hmm. Strange. No, 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 because when it fits the narrative, right? The narrative in this place is yes, 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 yes. We booted Parler. Ha 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 ha. And and the entire left community is saying, This is great. Like, 
you know, more steps for democracy. And the right is saying, this is bullshit. And, and again, they're saying it's bullshit because at the same time that you have Parler being booted, you have these accounts on Twitter who just maintain their presence on there because they maintain their presence on there, even though they're advocating for the um, mass murder of uh, Israel uh, as a country and the Jews that live within it. But all the while, again, nobody's engaging in the arena. What we're doing is engaging in our own arena. So then you have, you know, all the steps to follow, which is removal, trying to, everyone trying to uh, leave off of Twitter, everyone trying to set up parlor on all these different types of uh, platforms. And in, in the, in the whole interim, we're letting reason just fly out the window. You know, since the 1970s, the dialogue in the United States has become more fractured. And you can see this. There, there's a graph in um, a book I read. I, I think it was called... Um, oh, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll link it in the description. But it was a, a book regarding information in the age of Trump being elected. Okay? And... The, the the takeaway of it was that <clears throat> the way in which the news media influenced and and always has I mean don't get me wrong you you can't like my grandfather would say you know if people knew um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt FDR was in a wheelchair he would have never got elected in the first place I mean think about that uh, right now in 2020. Right, 2021. Um, But I mean, 2020 election. Like, if there was an actual candidate who was in a wheelchair who got that far, I don't think this person would even make it. Why? Because it's the it's the aesthetics of seeing the leader of the free world in a wheelchair, and that would not be a look that I think America would be very happy about. And anyway. So people who are pushing for this like equality, equity and, and shit, right? Perhaps we should go back to 1930. Like we we actually elected somebody who was in a fucking wheelchair. But now anyway, I won't I won't even go down that that uh So anyway, my grandfather said, you know, if in the 1930s people knew, they would have never elected him. But now it seems that no matter what our, our politics, because we were so, uh, you know, um, interested in media and television and seeing it, we're more apt now to base our decisions off of what our favorite TV station shows. Again, getting to yes, because it agrees with us, rather than getting to no and saying, why does it agree with us? And what are the positions? So in this book, which again, I'll link in the episode description, shows that since the 70s the there were these like two circles okay red and blue and they made a color in the 70s like a purple color because there were many of them centered around the middle if you could take a like a you know a graph you know or just a line a lot of the red and blue were were dots on top of one another this means that 
our issues in which we voted on in Congress, there was many, many, many issues we agreed upon. And most of us fell around the center in terms of what policies were initiated, right? As you see into this, you know, the 80s, 90s, now, the two red dots and the blue dots are completely at the end. There's like a football field between them now. So what does that show you? To me, it seems like we used to actually get to the word no a lot more. And we had the confidence in our position, right? We wanted to argue our positions in the arena, in the arena. We wanted to bleed, right? Who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. We wanted to be in the arena back then. We wanted to engage with the other side because we knew that there were things more powerful and more important than bickering back and forth and just saying, you know what, I'm going to hold out until, you know, my position gets taken up. How, how do you get, when you go into Congress now, I think it's with that, pre, um, that preconceived notion and presumption that, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be a hardcore on this one issue. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to, I'm not going to work with them. Why are you there then? Why are you there? You're there to take up space and to get paid. It's, it's ridiculous. <clears throat> and there's no confidence in any position we take. As long as it again, appeals to our bases. For example, my favorite, 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 favorite topic. You ready for it? Systemic racism. Yep. My favorite topic. I honestly have to give it to the Black Lives Matter movement. Why? Because they are phenomenal. Phenomenal. The They are... They... They could... They... Goebbels... Joseph Goebbels would be proud of what they could accomplish. And this is uh, the propaganda minister for the Nazis. Because... What you do when you are a propaganda minister, right, or trying to put out propaganda, you are trying to, again, convince the hearts and minds of the people through seeing a certain type of image, hearing a certain type of language, that there is no thought that needs to be done, but rather there is just blind allegiance. And what do you hear? Yes, 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 yes. No. The, the word that they are avoiding is no. Because no, of uh, you know, encourages you to think. Think about it. If you hear the word systemic racism, right? Well, does that does that sound like no, no? The word itself, systemic racism, sounds like yes. Of of course, there's systemic racism. It's in the system. It's racist. There there are racists. There's systems. Systemic racism. Yes. When you hear the word Black Lives Matter, what does that sound? But of, of course they imagine Black Lives Matter. Black Lives don't matter. What? No way. You can't say that. Black Lives do matter. Black Lives Matter. Yes. 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 So I started to, I, I, would, I would think when you hear these words, right? At least for myself, I would say like, hmm. 
this is strange. Like, what do they mean? I, I hadn't even heard of Black Lives Matter until 20, um, I, yeah, I don't think I've heard of it until 2020. I may have heard of it, um, during the, uh, Michael Brown shooting. Um, but I don't recall, uh, exactly. But wait, if me, if I, a white cis male says, I don't agree, right? With, with systemic racism or black lives matter. I'm a racist and I'm part of the problem. Do you, do you see what happens there? Right? Notice the, the unwillingness of people to get inside the arena to actually have a debate. No, they would actually rather, again, get to yes, because getting to yes means I can libel charges against you that my base agrees as such and agrees as truth. Rather than trying to get to the truth and understand why someone doesn't agree. No, 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 no. We, we don't. We don't want that to happen because if we, if we actually, if we're forced to think, then we may say something we don't intend, and that's that's what's going on. Because stating you're a racist and you're part of the problem only does what? Again, yes, 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 yes. We have an entire part of the population might I add even voting population who thinks the other side is racist and part of the problem, not because they got into debate because the premise has not been analyzed. And you got the other side saying the, the other side is racist again, the, for the same exact reason, but that's the thing because language and the way we use it is so important. We automatically make mental circuitry. We're doing a, a, a mental dance in our head. Like I said, the Black Lives Matter movement would make Goebbels proud because it's avoiding any rational thinking. It limits the way in which we reason about Black Lives Matter and systemic racism. Because if you actually reasoned it and actually went through what are the claims, it doesn't stand up. It does not stand up. It does not. It does not. It does not. It does not. But... There's that old, you know, saying, if you repeat it long enough, it will become a truth. Black lives matter. 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 If I say it, <laughs> man, the parallels, um, I'm, I'm going to get into why that's important, but, uh, keep, keep listening. <laughs> so if you listen to a couple episodes back, right? when I discuss success and outcomes, it flies directly into the, in the face of comprehensive thinking. Comprehensive thinking would imply that there may be more than one reason for the question you're dealing with, right? There may be more than one reason why you got fired, not because you're black. But for some reason, this past year, that very idea is itself wrong. To even suppose that there may be more than one issue, right? To even think that there may be a no around the corner, to, to, to even suppose that there may be even a, a more issue, one more, a more than one issue facing black America is wrong to suggest because it mis- minimizes the issues. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yes, 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 yes. What issues are we even talking about? To me, the issues seem to appear out of thin air, as if the per- person leading the discussion were a pastor and the flock took it as gospel and never questioned it. That, again, is getting to yes in each instant and not getting to no. When you go to church... 
Have you ever been to church and then uh, this would be kind of crazy or, or synagogue or a mosque? I've been to all three. Um, and I've been to even Buddhist temples. Um, trying to think if I've ever been to any other ones. But anyway, those are the main. Can you imagine someone leading prayer and then you get out and say, no, you're there at church. One, to feel some sort of presence and sanctity, I assume. But you're not there to disagree. Does that does that make sense? Like religion is not the place you enter in order to disagree. Religion is the place you enter because there are truths that are quote unquote self-evident already. And might I add, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That is bullshit now because there are no truths. There are only interpretations of them. And again, the interpretation that we want is the interpretation that matters, not the interpretation that actually creates a discussion and getting to know and being in the arena. No, 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 no. I want to be in my arena. My truths are self-evident. Your truths are not. They don't matter. Black lives matter. Take another example. I applied to literally over 200 jobs pre and since moving down to Texas. I was offered a couple of positions, but nothing that I would take even out of high school. But roughly out of the, you know, out of, I guess, 90%, I didn't receive a notification. The other 5%, I got interviewed and nothing further. Would it be wrong if I were to conclude that it's because I'm white? Would it be wrong? Why, why would it be wrong? Because if I, if I, if I were to ask those on the right, they would say, yes, it's because you're white. You didn't get a job. But if I were to say it on the left, I would be, uh, I don't know, a racist because because I'm saying I'm white and I didn't get a job, I guess. But I thought you couldn't be racist if you're, I thought you couldn't claim racism against yourself if you're white. I, I, I mean, it, the mental, again, the men, mental hoops you have to jump through in order to make these claims, again, defies logic and reason. But furthermore, what logic... What dialogue does this build? It's the base again, hearing yes and not enough no's. Makes me think even the way in which we parent now. When I was a kid and I played sports, if I won, we got trophies. If I didn't win, we didn't get trophies. We have entered into the trophy world. In fact, I saw this um, when I used to coach soccer back in the day like talking 2010 2011 2012 and i could only imagine it's worse now we call them participation prizes i mean we didn't actually call them that but that's what pretty much they were every kid who came to the camp that uh i was uh teaching at got a trophy for even the kids who sat down and didn't want to play and didn't want to be there because their parents were forcing them there and they were dropped off because what have you. And parents wanted time to themselves possibly. What is that teaching them? It's teaching them if I sit down, I'll get a trophy. And for those of you who disagree with me, bring it. Bring all of your, you know, quote unquote, guns, your arms and your ammo and your reasons and your logic. Tell me how that is beneficial. Just explain it. I want clear cut evidence that shows that that is beneficial for kids who... It, 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 Take this example. If you are studying for an exam, right? 
If you are studying for an exam and the teacher just says, you know what? Those of you who have studied for the exam, you guys are going to get 40 points. And the people who did study for the exam, you guys are just going to take it straight up. That's, that's the example. Argue it. Thank you. And honestly, it's like we're so afraid of going through any sort of suffering or any sort of arena to bleed, to fight valiantly, to dare greatly. We want everyone to feel good. Everyone needs to feel good. Everyone needs their feelings matter. Act on feelings and always trust them. That's the, that's the adage of 2020 and 2021 and going further. Meanwhile, as children, as children, we are taught sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. But now if we feel that words are violent, we, we have to react violently, right? Because some, for, some, for some odd reason, words become violence. A concept creep has occurred. Words are violent. Violence doesn't mean an actual action like, you know, slitting your face or punching you, an, uh, an assault or something like that. No, no, no. Words do that now because we want everyone to feel good. Read Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Lenina, which if you know anything about history, there's obviously a reason why her name is Lenin, Lenina, okay? She's one of the main characters and she says it often. Everyone's happy now. <laughs> and everyone's happy now because it's a, in a dystopian novel, in the dystopian novel rather, similar to 1984, everyone is equal. In Brave New World, there are no such thing as parents, siblings, cousins, or aunts. Everyone is developed in a vial. Everyone is identical. There are alphas, there are betas, there are gammas, deltas, epsilons, and they all are stratified. The alphas hang with the alphas, the betas hang with the betas, and the gammas do what the gammas do, deltas, etc., 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 etc. Kids um, no longer think for themselves. In fact, and when they bring the children up, they put them in a room and they basically do like some sort of electroconvulsive therapy when they go to touch flowers and books. So what happens after they said in the book, they say after they do it 272 times, three times a day for like 12 years, the kids no longer want to read and no longer want to go out into nature. Because in the past, when they used to read and they used to go out into nature, they actually had thoughts and they used um they took time for themselves, leisure, etc. Additionally, in the book, it shows that kids, okay, this is the best part. Six-year-olds, five-year-olds, they actually play naked and they have sexual um, erotic play at, at six years old. Th does that sound really interesting for right now? I mean, we, we literally have one part, probably more than a part, I should say, a half of the country believing and putting it out there that kids should not be forced a gender if they have a penis or a vagina. If they have XX or XY, it still doesn't mean that they're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. And in fact, everything is a social construct. Again, what is this doing? It's getting to yes and not getting to no. Because the more you say yes to this population of the world and the more you say yes to the other one, Again, it doesn't do anything. It does not do anything because nobody wants to get into the arena. But 
it's funny. What's funny is that in addition to this, right? And this is why I said I'll get to it later is because the more you hear something, the more you want to repeat it, right? The more it becomes a truth, right? What they also do for these, these kids, right? They call them hypnopadia, hypnopadia. And I believe they're just trying to combine like children, padia and uh, hypnosis. So they have children who sleep when they're sleeping. They realize that as a result of, um, developing the babies in utero, uh, sorry, in vials, etc., and putting them in when they're born, they call it decanted that they're born, meaning like they're, they're, they come out as if it was like wine. Um, and all of the, all of the, uh, you know, the grapes, etc., stay and the liquid is decanted <laughs> anyway. So when the kids are sleeping, they actually play music to them when they're sleeping, because when they, they found out that the new development um, actually creates um, this sort of mind circuitry that they go through and they repeat these words like everyone's happy now we're all equal um, you know reading is no good you know all of these things so like I said when you hear black lives matter black lives matter black lives matter black lives matter systemic racism systemic racism systemic racism there is a mental you know goal or mental circuitry that's occurring that's making you actually not want to engage on the topics, but rather take them as presupposition, as a presupposition that shouldn't be questioned. It's dogma. <laughs> and what, what's also funny is in, in uh, Brave New World, there's no such thing as parents. There's no such thing as siblings. Those were outlawed. Why were they outlawed? Well, because there were these ties that bound people to each other. Doesn't that sound familiar? I think there was a bill that I believe was passed in the house that eliminated the usage of gendered nouns such as mom, dad, brother, sister. And what's funny is it culminated in the swearing-in ceremony of new congressional leaders with the lead pastor saying both amen and a woman. And you guessed it. What are we doing? We're only getting to yes. No one wants to engage in the arena in the in the arena anymore because it's more important for us to satisfy our bases rather than get into the arena and ask why these things are being done in the first place. It's wild. It's absolutely astounding to me that something which I believe Teddy Roosevelt was trying to um, indicate again citizenship in the republic, you know, what we are to do as people and how we are to, you know, be resilient and willing to engage with one another, willing to engage with the world, willing to engage with the other side, the people that we don't agree with, willing to engage in every step of it. But what we've done in the U.S. in general is separate ourselves more now than ever because, again, the arena only exists as far as we can see it and only exists with the people we want it to exist within and only exists for us to feel safe, comfortable and away from all of the, uh, the disagreements that we, we, we may actually have and the dissonance that may be created by us having two opposing points of view, right? To hold two opposing points of view and understand them and actually come to a new improved thought is a radical thing now and it's it's coming for you everywhere start to think on your own start to cultivate 
your own sense of individuality. Use reason as the foundation and you'll, you'll, you'll actually always see the quote-unquote forest for the trees instead of just seeing the trees. Enjoy the podcast, guys, and enjoy the start to your week. Take care. God bless.